Well, good morning, and uh, today I'm going to be talking to you all about a topic that uh, is growing, continues to grow in popularity within the church. And we're going to be looking at this question about does the Bible promise health, wealth, and prosperity? Does the Bible really promise you good health for your whole time here on earth? A big house, a big nice car, all the money you would need to um, have all the toys you want, go all the places you want, do the things you want, live in the comfort you want. Is this the abundant life that Jesus talked about, that we have been promised, or is it something different than that? Well, today we're going to look and see what God's Word says. We're going to look at what some of the teachers of this prosperity movement or prosperity gospel teach, and we're going to see whether the Bible really goes down that pathway or whether it's something totally different. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that you have given us, this beautiful, bright, sunny morning, a cool morning here in the gym where we don't have to worry about the fans going. We just thank you for that, for those blessings and the beauty of your creation, but we Ask, Lord, that you open our minds. If we are some that are struggling with this whole concept that we're going to be looking at this morning, show us truth. Help us to walk away today with a better understanding of what it really is that your word promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are definitely preachers and teachers out there who teach this prosperity gospel message. Probably the most popular one today is Joel Osteen, who is the pastor of the largest church in America right now, the Lakewood Church in Houston. You probably have seen him on talk shows, on uh, morning shows. He's a nice guy. He comes across really nice, and I'm sure he teaches a lot, and some of the others we're going to look at do teach God's Word accurately in a lot of ways. But really, the point that I'm going to make early on is there are some of these teachers that add this to maybe correct teaching in many other areas. So I'm not going to be judging anything about what these guys teach regarding how you're saved through faith in Christ alone. A lot of them probably are on that path as well, but they do add this prosperity gospel message to what they teach. I'm going to show you a couple quotes to give you an idea. And actually, if I was better at this and if I would have coordinated a little better, I would have picked a couple quick little videos because some of them are really bizarre, to tell you the truth. If you have ever gone on YouTube and look at some of the stuff that you will see in this area, that's the best word I can use, bizarre. I was almost afraid, in a way, look, look, looking at it and listening to it. It gets scary. But you're going to see a few quotes that are as good as I can do this morning. God wants you to prosper in your health. He wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. This was in a letter that he said to his whole 43,000 congregation. Every week, that's how many people attend his church. So his message is very popular. Another very popular teacher, T.D. Jakes, uh, he, I, I happened to see his church. We took our son to go look at Dallas Baptist 
University there in Texas, and his church sits right up on a hill next to Dallas Baptist, and it's called the Potter's House Church. And it's big and huge, and they they have about 30,000 people per week attend. So I don't know if he's number two or where he ranks, but again, it's a very large, popular church. During a TV fundraiser, T.D. Jakes once said, just reach in and receive it, meaning God's blessing, if you would have heard some of earlier. The business, the property, it's yours. Take it, snatch it. It's yours. Take it, receive it. He kept saying this. Take it. It's yours. You've got to take it. Just give your little gift and reap much more. Um, another thing that T.D. Jakes said that isn't up there is poverty is a barrier to Christian living, and God rewards obedience with material blessings. Okay, another one, Kenneth Copeland. Uh, He is more of a televangelist. He has a program uh, called Believer's Voice of Victory, and he was uh, very involved in Oral Roberts Ministries for years. He was on a board of Oral Roberts. He once said, God put our sin, sickness, disease, grief, and poverty on Jesus at Calvary. For him to put any of this on us now would be a miscarriage of justice. One of your covenant rights as a Christian is the right to a healthy body. Go on to the next one, Benny Hinn. A lot of you probably have heard of Benny Hinn, most known probably for his faith healing services that he has, this slain in the spirit type thing. He once said, sickness does not belong to any of us. God promises to heal all, every one, any of our diseases. No sickness should come your way. And Benny Hinn said another thing that really should put us on guard. He said, never, ever go to the Lord and say, if it be thy will, don't allow such faith-destroying words to be spoken from your mouth. Now, something ought to, that ought to set off some alarms in you to hear that kind of thing being said, that it could somehow be wrong or faith-destroying to defer to God's will. Okay, these men and many others who teach this uh, prosperity gospel do point to the Bible. They, like I said, they do teach probably some things that are very uh, much in line with sound doctrine. So they point to the Bible to support their teaching. They're not going to try to present this idea with just making it up. So they do have the verses, many of them really, that they point to. And we're going to look at a few of those. And then as we go through this morning, we're going to see whether or not we think that uh, these verses are being misused rather than used properly. John 10.10, this is the one I mentioned in my opening there. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So how do you define that abundant life? John 16.24, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. So um, what do some of these things mean that Jesus said? Joy. What is the joy that he's talking about? Matthew 17, 20. If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. One more. From Isaiah, repeated by Peter in 1 Peter, by his stripes we are healed. 
And by the way, I typically use NIV when I uh, put scriptures up. This one I did not choose, the NIV. It's New King James because I think a lot of us are familiar with the term, by his stripes we are healed. The NIV does not use it exactly that way, so I went to King James. There are more claims of biblical support that, uh, for this teaching. Probably one that may be as hard as any to deal with, if you're going to contest this way of thinking, is this one that relates to tithing. In Malachi 3.10, Malachi, this says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This does seem like material blessings that exceed what you may have given in the tithe. This one I want to immediately say something about, although don't want to get into a detailed evaluation. This was a passage for a specific people at a specific time based upon what was going on in Israel at that time. They had been robbing God of his tithes. They had received what they thought was unfair judgment. They thought they were still following God, but yet God inspired Malachi to speak in this way to them in a way that is out of the ordinary. God actually invited the people to test him, and that's not the pattern. You know, Jesus taught when he was tempted in the desert that we should not put the Lord our God to a test. This is not God's normal pattern, but because the people were just being, they were having a difficult time, and they thought that was God's judgment, and God said, well, test me, show me. If you stop robbing the tithe, I will open up and bless you. I'm not sure that that applies universally for all time, all people, all places. So that one I wanted to say something off, right off the bat because we may not come back to it so clearly. Another one is Mark 10, 29-30. No one who has left home, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields so anything you leave or maybe give away for the gospel, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. This one, I'll say one little comment. They don't put the rest of the verse. It says, or in the age to come. They leave that off. That could mean, when Jesus is teaching this, that that blessing that won't necessarily come in the present age, but it could be in the age to come. And we'll come back to that thought. One other uh, verse, and then we'll get off of the ones that they're using. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, what is that rich? We'll come back to that. Okay, just a little more history on this prosperity gospel. It's part of the Word of Faith movement. And the Word of Faith movement, we'll mention more than once this morning, really has to do with putting your faith in faith rather than in God. Just remember that for now, and we will come back to that point. The, most people would say this Word of Faith movement, which is partly the prosperity gospel, um, mostly the prosperity gospel today, was pretty old. It began with a man named E.W. Kenyon, who might have been the founder of it in the late 1800s, 
but it didn't really become popular until maybe the 80s or 90s. There's other notables. We're not going to spend time on that right now, but there are a lot of other teachers along these lines. As I mentioned, Oral Roberts, he was a very common or popular person who taught this way. Kenneth Hagin, he's the one, if you go and look at some of his videos, they're the ones that I say are really bizarre and scary. And then there's a woman, too. It's not only men, Joyce Myers, Robert Schuller. The biggest platforms for this right now are probably, the, other than the churches themselves, are the Trinity Broadcasting Network, to a lesser extent, the Christian Broadcasting Network. And really an interesting point is that to the greatest extent, the USA and Africa are the places where this is the most popular. We could spend some time talking about why that may be, why it would be on that extreme of Africa and on the other extreme in the USA. Uh, Not going to spend a lot of time there either. Now, the basic principles, we've got to think about this. Before we get to correctness of Scripture, we've got to look at some of these principles behind this prosperity gospel. And the first one is that faith is a force to be harnessed. Faith is where the power is. And it's like electricity. We've just got to know how to use it and harness it. And one way to use it is the second principle. It's words. Words have power to either activate God or to bind Satan to accomplish what you want. Words are really important when put in combination with faith. You've got to be careful, too, about your words. Words can have positives or negatives with this belief. For example, if, uh, if you tell somebody, drop dead, you better watch it. That's a negative speaking of words, and it, if you really believe it, you could be speaking death to that person or something else crazy like that. So you've got to watch it on the negative side, but words can be used in this positive way to put our faith into action. Another principle is if you give, God promises to give you more in return. You don't want to just get what you gave. If you give to the work of the church $100 a week, well, you, really, you expect to get more back or to some ministry. If God's only going to give you back what you gave, I've heard some of these preachers say that's not a very good deal. So you get more than you gave. That's part of the principles. That's the Mark thing, the verse we just looked at, a hundred times more. And another principle, Jesus' death saves us from all sickness and poverty. He doesn't save us just from from our sin, the consequences of our sin. He doesn't cleanse us and bring us into that right relationship only. No, it's more than that. His death actually is the price paid for us to be wealthy and without sickness. And finally, there is a covenant. God has a covenant with his followers and believers. If he promised these things, which they quote out of Scripture, these promises, he cannot break that promises. He is bound. He must give you what he has promised. So this is the main principles. There's also a formula. We can look at it in a more practical way, and a lot of you have heard some of these ways of referring to this movement overall, the name it, claim it, believe it, receive it. They make a lot of neat little slogans to try to make the point. Some of these are more negative from the people on the other side who have come up with it as, as a way to make these, this movement sound silly or foolish like the name it, claim it. I'm not sure the people who believe it say that, although they will use the term claim it. 
Now, God cannot break his promises, as we said. When we really look at this from a practical point of view, what's it like? What it's really like, it's like a genie in a lamp or maybe a vending machine where we have to do something. We either rub the lamp, put our something in the vending machine, and really what we put in, the rubbing of the lamp or the money or whatever going in the vending machine, is really our faith and our words working in combination. And when we put those in, we get out blessings. This is the deal. That's as simple as that. And that, that is maybe, they would say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm making a joke of something that is really taught by Scripture. Well, this portrays the idea very clearly, though. It may make it a little comical in a way, but it is like uh, rubbing the lamp, the genie comes out, and he says things like, your wish is my command. God must obey what we want. And that's, that's really the way this works. Now, here's the key point of all this. You're all Christians, let's say. I know that that may not be true, but let's say the, most of us here are Christian. Are you still living with a sick body? Are you still not having as much money as you want? Do you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and God's not hearing them? You're not getting answers? You've been praying about something for so long and you're just not getting what you have prayed for? Well, this movement would say it's your fault because something is wrong that you have done. Your faith is too weak. You're using these faith-killing words like Benny Hinn talked about, if it's your will, God. Something is wrong. That means someone like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been in the wheelchair since, uh, what is it, the late 60s? Her faith must be too weak. She must have spoken faith-killing words somewhere along the way. That parent who lost a child to cancer, it's partly their fault because something they did did not take advantage of God's promises. To me, this is such a terrible teaching to leave people with this idea that it's your fault because of your circumstance that you're living in, the suffering you're experiencing. It's just something that is hard for me to believe that anyone can actually make that part of their system of teaching. It seems to ignore the fact that the world is living under the curse. They seem to have forgotten the curse and the groaning that we currently are experiencing, living under the curse that's brought on by the sin and starting with Adam and Eve and through our own sin. And they seem to have ignored God's love and compassion for the people that are hurting and suffering. So, given all of that, we know that we have warnings in Scripture about different kinds of false teaching, and this is one of those kinds. Peter tells us that false teachers, they will be among you in the church, and they'll secretly introduce destructive heresies. Many will follow after their depraved conduct. A couple other of these warnings. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. That's Paul in Acts. 
And watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious, ferocious wolves. These uh, messages that we have heard are definitely falling in this category from some of these people, some of these teachers. So um, even though the messages in these churches distort or pervert Scripture, people follow after them anyway. They maybe aren't even getting results. They're following them, but yet they continue to flock to these churches or watch them on TV. So what's the attraction? Well, there it is. This whole teaching is it's all about me, my needs and wants, my glory, my comfort, my will be done. It's part of the American dream. Maybe that's why the USA is a place where this teaching thrives. The American dream relates to upward mobility, and upward mobility means more money, more things. It even, I think, our own faith, the pride we have in how strong our own faith is, we got faith strong enough, that's a selfish, self-centered idea as well. It's all about me. Now, 2 Timothy 4.3 said, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, we know a lot of churches don't do that, but we know a lot of people go to churches where this is happening, that the preachers that are the most popular, as we began with today, in terms of church numbers, attendees, weekly attendance at the churches that teach this message are the largest. So there's a lot of people want to hear this message. It's kind of like, even though they've had no success yet, perhaps in terms of uh, getting richer or having all their sicknesses and diseases healed, it's like the person who keeps buying lottery tickets. They've never won. They've never got that winner yet that gave them this life of ease, but yet they keep coming back. They keep coming back for another lottery ticket or going to the casino or whatever it is. They keep hoping in the wrong thing, but this is very much like that. Now, I'm going to quickly go over some of those principles because I want to get to really the, the better news, the truth here. To, in just a little bit, I will. But I want to go to these five principles and say at least something quickly about some problems associated with the principles. The first one was faith is a force to be harnessed. Well, I mentioned that the faith that they have is in their faith, if you can understand that. It's not in God, the one who has the power to really address their needs in his way. The second, words have power to activate God and bind Satan. Well, God is sovereign, and only Jesus' words can bind Satan. But, you know, I am just thankful that my words don't have such power. I don't know about the rest of you, but I have said some things that I regretted so quickly that I wish, I mean, I'm so happy that this is not true. 
that my words have that kind of power because I would have been going down the wrong path many times or paid a lot of consequences for something if they did. If you give, God will give back more in this world. That's the promise, in this world. Jesus taught, we're laying up treasures not for this world, but we're laying up treasures in heaven where our blessings will come. And we're going to see a verse in a minute on that. Jesus' death saves us from all sickness and poverty. The, the by his stripes we are healed verse clearly is talking about spiritual healing because Peter uses this verse in 1 Peter and he combines this with the uh, statement that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. And when you read what Peter taught, it's so clearly spiritual healing that he's talking about here, not physical healing. Not in this verse, anyway. It doesn't mean God cannot physically heal. He can. He can physically heal. He can even materially bless. But is that the thing that he promised for all of us? Finally, God promised so he must bless with prosperity. He did not promise earthly prosperity for all. For all in all circumstances. He did make promises, which we're going to come to, though. So some other fundamental problems. Definitely, we talked about misuse of Scripture. Some of the general ways that they have misused Scripture is they take verses out of context. They quote only part of a verse. We looked at a couple of those. And they misinterpret verses and passages. There's another, probably even more important, uh, fundamental problem. And that it seems to totally ignore Jesus's teaching on the cost of true discipleship, where Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily. He tells us to expect persecution and suffering. And again, we'll look at some verses here next. So what does Jesus really promise? Let's look at a few of those things that we just mentioned. In Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. There is no doubt that if we are a follower of Jesus, we will experience persecution here and now. Along the same lines, in John 15, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In our country, persecution doesn't look the same as it may in some countries. Persecution to us may be ridicule. It may be unfairness in a job promotion. It could be something just not having friendly neighbors. You know, it could be those kind of things. But it is a form of persecution if you clearly identify yourself as a Christian and live that way. But in other countries, persecution can go all the way up to being a martyr for your faith. But everywhere, persecution will exist for the person who identifies clearly that they are a follower of Christ. In 1 Peter, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Again, expect it. Expect this because of him, because of Jesus. Romans 8, 
23 and 25. This is really important regarding this whole topic. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, see, we have something. We're going to come to that. He's already given us something. We have the first fruits. But yet, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. So he's given us something now, sort of a down payment for believing in him. But yet, the physical side of things is what he is referring to in the second part of this passage. We don't have that yet. We're waiting patiently. Now, let's look at what are those first fruits. What is it that we have been given right now that is a blessing, that is the abundant life? Well, when it says first fruits of the Spirit, we definitely turn to Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These spiritual blessings are also talked about in Ephesians 1.3, for all who are in Christ. Jesus said, remain in me, then you can bear fruit. This is the kind of fruit he's talking about. And a lot of this kind of fruit is a present blessing for those who follow after him. It's not something that's just going to come later. Just think, joy, peace, even patience, the ability to show kindness and love. These are all blessings on your life. If you can be that way to other people, that is a current blessing. And so we have that right now. And we also have this hope for a future glorified body that will be just like Christ. And this is the abundant life that he has given us. If we can live in, a, in peace and joy, have joy and love, truly love, that is abundant living. That's what Jesus promised for those who follow him now in this world. Now, earthly prosperity, there are da- this is dangerous. Rather than it being a blessing, it is a danger to have too much. And we're going to see some things that tell us that. But first, a few that are mostly related to money. And you're familiar with most of these verses, I think. Watch out, Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Don't make money an idol. You cannot serve God and money. Don't pray about your money. There are things we are to pray about, and we'll come to that. But we shouldn't pray for more money unless you are (laughs) very careful and have very good reason that is in line with God's will. Another one, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This movement thrives on thinking about getting more money and doing things that result in more wealth. It seems totally opposite to this. Now, Jesus, Paul, writing to Timothy, is saying you should care about food and clothing, but be content with that. That's enough to worry about. Jesus said, pray for your daily bread, not pray to get rich. 
It's okay to pray and wish for, hope for, work for food and clothing that is adequate. Now, why does not God not give prosperity to all? Some of these dangers, if we have too much good blessings in our life, are we able to accept all those blessings and still be the kind of people God wants us to be? Well, we have some warnings in Scripture that say this may not be the best thing for us. We may forget the Lord if we have too much. In Proverbs 30, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. Who is the Lord? So, if we have too much, there's a danger there that we may no longer look to him as often as we should and in the ways that we should. Wealth may hinder the influence of God's word in our lives. Jesus said the deceitfulness of wealth will choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Somehow, if we've got too much wealth, it is taking too much of our attention and it is where our focus is, it's what we're worrying about, and God's word is choked out. It has less influence in our lives if we have too much. It's like the guy who discovers the treasure chest in the movies, and he sees all these gold coins, and he's just you know, picking them up and spilling them, and his gaze is on those coins. He cannot, at that moment, thinking about his wealth, think about the things of God. They do not go together. Another thing, prosperity may cause us to trust in things other than God. Proverbs 11 says, those who trust in their riches will fall. We write it on our coins. In God we trust. Somebody was pretty wise because coins are money. Our focus can be on the money. So we put on the coins in God we trust. That's good but we forget it. We, we don't even know it's there. We don't think about it. We put our trust in our money, our health, our jobs, everything else. And finally, trials may yield benefits to help us grow. Definitely, in Romans 5.4, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. There is no doubt that I know I personally have grown more through trials and suffering In fact, I became a Christian because of trials and suffering. If it wasn't for that, I'm not sure I would have became a Christian. We grow so much spiritually and mature through trials, and God knows it. All right, this, I bet you're all familiar to some extent with Hebrews chapter 11, and and that is often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. There's all these biblical characters in this chapter, and they are identified for one reason or another that relates to their faith. But there's a couple verses here that so well explain why this prosperity here and now just isn't right. Let's look at these. 13 and 16. All these people, and I list a couple there, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised during the here and now. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This really answers the question. Here we have the people that God believes were the heroes of the faith. And these people were not getting all their blessings here and now. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't have some wealth. Some of them did. And trials, yes, trials came their way, for sure. And ultimately, they all got sick and died. But yet, they saw from a distance what was coming. They had hope, and that's what pleases God. God really wants us to be content in our present circumstances. And isn't it really something? Here they are commended by God for this contentment with their circumstance, looking forward to the promised rewards. This is, this tells the, this is the answer to the question, really, this passage. So the way that I'm going to end is another one of those pretty old hymns. It's one that I like a lot. I'm going to use this to kind of summarize and end this message this morning. And it's Because He Lives by Bill Gaither. And we're going to look at what he says in this to conclude. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Regardless of the circumstances, no matter how difficult tomorrow looks, I can lay my head down on the pillow tonight knowing because Jesus lives, because he was resurrected from the dead, proving he is divine, We have our God who we're trusting in waiting for us. And we are looking forward to that. Because I know I have that coming, I can face tomorrow. I guess I meant to put that up. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Again, looking to tomorrow, what may come, or today when I'm walking through that deepest valley because I don't have enough money to feed my family or because of some sickness that either I have or someone in my family has, I know that he's there with me as I walk through that valley. And even as I approach death, I know he's there with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I cannot separate myself from his love. He's there with me. All fear is gone no matter what the circumstance Because I know he holds the future. God has revealed to us his plan of the ages. And it's a good outcome. Yeah, there's going to be some troubles and trials and tribulation that come. But we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is really good. We know who wins. We know Jesus wins. And we know we're going to spend eternity with him in the new heaven and earth. So we can place our hope in a good outcome. We're thankful that he gave us the end of the story. And life is worth the living, even though we do have present trials, tribulations, sicknesses, whatever it is, our present troubles are really not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. We know that this is a blip in time and a very small blip compared to eternity, so we can know that future that is coming is going to be forever. 
And finally, again, just because he lives, the emphasis is there in this whole song. Because he lives, because Jesus rose from the dead, because he's there interceding for us with the Father right now, and I know I'm going to spend eternity with him, this is what we can put our hope in. Not here and now, not material blessings today, tomorrow, but let's just look forward with the kind of hope that those heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 look forward to. And that hope does bring us joy and peace that we can have too because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. So let's end in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time together. Protect us, Lord, from false teachings that we come across. We know friends and family who have followed some of these teachings that really seek after material blessings, prosperity here and now. But what you really promise us is an abundant life of peace and joy right now as we sang in our first song that, Jesus, you are more precious than silver, gold, diamonds. And, Lord, we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for these first fruits. And we just pray, Lord, that you continue to build a hope in us for what is to come. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.